Welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Bill Ringel about helping small business leaders and managers double their delegation effectiveness without the typical stress. Bill is a former Apple exec and author of the upcoming book, Grow Business Now, which will be his fourth book that is published. Bill's mission is to help overwhelmed managers become admired leaders who can grow and scale companies by mastering focus, integrity, delegation, and systems. He hosts My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders, where you'll find more than 400 episodes with top published thought leaders like Dan Pink, Doug Conant, and Dory Clark, sharing their stories, strategies, and tools with listeners each week. He earned his undergraduate bachelor's degree in computer science from RPI and his master's degree from Drexel University. Welcome, Bill. It's great to be with you, Virginia. Thanks for being here with us today. It's such a pleasure. So it sounds kind of like you've had a little bit of an interesting journey. Um, How did you come out to be an entrepreneur and go out on your own? I've always been someone who's been looking to help people on the side. And I guess my start as an entrepreneur was when I was a teacher and I was a teacher at a boarding school and I was teaching computer science. And during the vacation months, people would just call me and ask for help with things. So I was setting up websites and I was setting up databases and setting up mailing lists and all sorts of things like that. And every job, people just would always ask me or people would refer others and say, hey, you've got to get some help here. And I finally became an entrepreneur when I was at Apple. And I realized that if I was going, it was not just that I was at Apple, but I I was traveling (laughs) all over the world when my son was born. And I said, I want to be around for a lot of the things that are going to happen. So I realized the only way to do that was to really take control of my own destiny and say, I'm going to leave a really successful job and I'm going to work and give it everything I have to build it and make it successful. So I have the freedom to be able to dictate my own schedule and be around through you know, all of the different fun events going on in my, my son's life. Was that leap kind of scary? Oh, hugely. (laughs) (laughs) So here was the really scary part, Virginia. It wasn't because my wife also had a good job. She saw after a few months. Okay, so no, I'm I'm going back. Um, It was really scary when what happened. (laughs) Let me back up. I (laughs) I had taken this job. And before I started Apple, I had started a company. And Apple had asked me to work with them. And my wife said, oh, I could run this company while you do work with Apple. And I said, that's a great idea, but it was only months old. So my wife had left her job, which was another really good, stable source of income and was running a business. And now I was supporting her while I was Apple. And then when I left to Apple, it seemed to be even a bigger leap because now I was running a business and making a commitment to support the whole household as well as staff. Mm-hmm. So that was the really scary part. It was, it seemed like it was just one step, but it was actually two steps. So What kind of got you to focus in on, like when you left, were you focused in on what you are now, like with developing the systems and the delegation and stuff like that? No, and I'll share with you the reason that's become even more profoundly important since then. I've always had a knack for being able to figure things out technically. And when I left Apple, we did web and database development systems. And it was, we were doing the hard stuff on the web, not just showing a nice page up, 
but interacting with backend databases and looking up inventory and stuff that was a little bit more sophisticated than that. And what I realized was, is that that's going to become commoditized. And sure enough, things that were really, really hard in 2002, and everyone who's been on the web for you know 20 years will recognize setting up a simple contact form was like a two hour thing. <laughs> it wasn't like <laughs> drag a few fields and name them today. And I realized that as that was gonna get easier and easier, what people really needed were the leadership skills, the project management skills, and the ability to systematize the work that they do. So that became my focus. How long into your business was it till you guys, both on the, what you ran and what your wife was running, did you guys implement that? So within probably three years after leaving Apple, we had one of those entrepreneurial, oh my gosh moments. And it was a client who owed us six figures suddenly decided they had what they needed and they weren't going to pay us. Mm. And they were you know, a much, much bigger organization than we were. And dragging it out with lawyers would have just drained our, our funds. So I had to eat the loss and I had to close that business and then open another one a year later. And during that time is when I, I really figured out what I wanted to do. And I also said, there was no one in all of my friendships and all of my relationships and client relationships at the time, there was no one who I could turn to when I was in that scary place, when it was staying up at night, staring at the ceiling, saying, I'm going to have the conversation in the morning about moving more funds out of savings in order to make payroll at the end of the, the month, because we just needed to get more funds in. And I, I had to make that call. And I ended up making sure that you know our, our people were taken care of but at great personal cost. And I said, I'm going to develop the skills and knowledge that I don't have right now, but in a couple of years, I'll have that so that someone who's in that position, at least there'll be one person out there who will be me, who they could turn to and ask questions. I may not always have the answers, but I'll help whoever I can because I know what it's like to be right on the edge of terrible things going on because you just didn't know any better starting your entrepreneurial business. Mm-hmm. So true. So are there certain companies or niches that you focus on now? I focus where I could get so much benefit in the shortest time possible. And I work with mid-sized companies between 50 and 500 people who are in the high tech space and they're in internet services, they're in um, online publishing, software development, generally a high tech company that requires sophisticated processes in order to accomplish their job. And I help them become even more effective and help their managers who are feeling scattered, who are feeling overwhelmed, who are feeling anxious about how everything's going to get done and show them how to make sense of it all and say, look, you don't have to react to everything coming on. You could plan out what an ideal week is and then teach people how to fit into the template that I've helped you create so that all your responsibilities are being met and you still have white space on your calendar. <laughs> Isn't that something, right, Virginia? White space on the calendar. What a great idea. <laughs> like, what's that? <laughs> That's awesome. So is that just, can you kind of give us like a little snippet on kind of how you might do that? Let's talk about an ideal week. I don't think many entrepreneurs or business leaders who are managers, supervisors, or even founders of businesses, take the time to plot out and say, 
if I were to have an ultimately successful week, what would it look like? Virginia, can, can we just role play this for two or three minutes? <laughs> yeah. The first thought that came to my mind was eight hours of sleep. <laughs> you know what? That's something I want you to put down. Eight hours sleep. So when do you wake up in the morning? Five. And ideally, would it be five? Well, I aim for four, but that seems early sometimes. <laughs> okay. So say comfortably by five. I'm an early morning person too, so that doesn't sound outrageous. And if in order to go uh, to wake up easily by 5 a.m., what time do you have to go to sleep? If I want that eight hours, I have to go to bed at nine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation would have taken a very different turn if you said, I'm usually up after 11. <laughs> well, you asked what time I should go to bed, not what time I do. <laughs> okay, so we're designing ideals. So you take a break from whatever has been true and you say, my ideal day means that I start at five in order for that to be successful, I've got to, to get to bed at nine. And in order to get to bed at nine, what are some of the routines that you use to wind down from your day? What are one or two things that you always do? I try to get the bed kids in bed by 7.30, yep. but normally it's much later until they actually stop coming downstairs. <laughs> right, so that's something where this is gonna sound kind of odd, but there you need to recruit some help. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> now who could we recruit for this let's see santa <laughs> all right so we get santa involved <laughs> and you know you you make up games but you spend time proactively thinking about how to set things up so your your children are tired ready for bed teeth are brushed and in their pjs so that they're easily going to bed by 7 30 8 o'clock and that gives you an hour to kind of wind down and get ready for your nine o'clock bedtime. Yeah. And even though this seems very mundane, if you don't do it, you're forever, day after day, week after week, month after month, at the mercy of whatever's going on. And it's this type of thinking where I'll walk a manager through this and say, what is it like, um, what are your main activities, your primary responsibilities and main activities? We list those out and then we go through this same process. And someone who I was speaking with earlier this week, was saying, my gosh, I just hate getting all these calls about 15 different things every day. I said, well, it means that you're a key part of a lot of different processes, but let's see, can we categorize them? And we categorize them into five different types of responsibility. And then we said, when do you want to handle the customer service calls? He, and his, his, his eyes lit up and he, he got this look on his face, it's like, you mean I could tell people that Tuesdays between 4 and 5.30 is when to talk to me about customer service issues? I said, sure. It's your business. You can determine to have it any way that you want, but you've got to plan it. Otherwise, you're at the mercy of always responding and reacting to things. Yeah, he has to plan it and then implement it. <laughs> yes. Now, initially, will everyone bring their customer service problems to him to solve between four and 5.30 on Tuesdays? No, there has to be communication involved. There has to be times when, when people come and say, listen, Gene, they'll come to me and say, Gene, I, I have a question about this. And I've taught Gene to be prepared for three or four different types of questions that we can anticipate. And the first thing Gene will ask is he'll say, is this something that could wait till Tuesday at four? And that'll handle 80% of them because they'll say, why? Yeah, I, I guess it could. <laughs> I, I just thought to call you because it was on my mind right now. 
And when you start to build this gap, this space between a stimulus and a response in your life and in your business, you suddenly feel in control. Do you know why? Because now you are in control. <laughs> but it happens to a lot of people, I'm sure. But like meal planning, right? Like instead of that, oh my goodness, it's five o'clock. What are we having for dinner rush? Right. If you plan out your stuff, then it's more manageable, right? You don't have that stress and that rush. Let me share with you my 3F chart that I made when my son was, gee, about seven years old. And the three Fs were we would sit down on a Sunday. Sunday is a big planning day in our household. And, and I would say, all right, what type of food are we going to eat during the week? What meals? What types of get-togethers with friends are we going to have? And then what type of fun things are we going to have? And from seven years old, he learned to plan it out so that we're not deciding on Friday, oh, are we going to be able to get together with these friends? We've already got it handled. We've been inviting people since Monday, or even better yet, the week prior, and we've got it planned. We've got fun things to look forward to. We've got food that's planned, and we've got fun. That's awesome. I love how you kind of tied in like with your three Fs, like how you yeah. kind of tied it in and made it like a fun little way of remembering like what it is. That's right. And right from the beginning, he I didn't say we're going to have family planning. That sounds dry and dull. But I said, <laughs> let's talk about food, fun and friends. And he, <laughs> right. Who doesn't love those things? Right. <laughs> That's fun. So the clients that you're working with now, how do you get in front of them? So I have this podcast called My Quest for the Best, and mm -hmm. I'm at episode 400. So I have 400 episodes. Some are about 30, many are about 30 minutes, but some of them are about an hour. And it, I have 200 hours at the very least for someone who finds me online and is curious about what I do and what my style is, and they could listen. <laughs> and so the, by the time they come to talk to me, it's like, oh yeah, we, we know all about you. We heard you talk about, you know, with Scott Beltsky about planning things in software companies. We, we heard you talk about Dory Clark and all about the entrepreneurial's journey. Whatever it is, they've automatically been able to find it and then get an idea of who I am. So it builds that no like, and trust factor. Now I've got a, I've got an insider's trick for all of your listeners. You ready, Virginia? If you want 80% of the benefit with only 5% of the work, all you have to do is be a guest on other great podcasts. That's awesome. So do you, per, like, do you do anything with like posting on certain platforms or running ads or anything like that? Or is it just kind of putting yourself on other people's shows and then getting people that way? So let me share with you. I have made all the mistakes you can imagine. However, my secret superpower is that I don't make the same mistake more than once very often. <laughs> so somebody said, here's how to get a big following on Facebook. And it made sense to me. I understood the method. I went out and built almost 100,000 people listening to my videos and following my, my lead magnets and signing up for things. And I got all these leads and I got all of these trolls. Hmm. After spending almost $10,000, I finally wised up and said, I'm getting a lot of attention, but not from the people who are going to be my clients. Yeah. So then I said, where are my clients hanging out? And I, I did the, the, the litmus test. I said, Facebook, ooh, if I'm saying ooh, my clients are saying ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I kept going through them. I said, LinkedIn, 
LinkedIn's where the adults are. These are where people are saying, here's how to get ahead in business. Here's a tip that I learned. Here's where the thought leaders are that are my peers. And so I started posting on LinkedIn. I post regularly on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And then I, I really, you know, I have minimal visibility on other platforms. I just don't care, but I really am glad that I save a lot of the time and aggravation and money from posting in places where my prospects aren't hanging out and aren't looking for solutions to their problems. Which makes total sense, right? Imagine. In hindsight, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some where, goals? Where we three years ago, we should have had this conversation then. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> if only. <laughs> what are some big goals that you're hoping to achieve with your company over the next year or two? So I want to bring a thousand people or a thousand companies in the next three years through a program that I've developed called Managing to Excel. And in 90 days, I've had about 30, 31 companies go through this so far. And what happens is that people come through and in a matter of two to three months, it's a 90 day program, but in two to three months, suddenly all the people in the organization are speaking the same language, have a common tool set and are startlingly saying, wow, this is really great because I'm not caught in the waves anymore. I'm able to start surfing. I'm able to stay above the water. And here's something that's true that I think that everyone listening to this can identify with. When you're managing effectively, you're not doing the work. And if you find yourself in a management role doing the work more often than you think you should, and that varies for everyone and every company and every industry. But if you find yourself doing more of the work and not managing, it means that you haven't spent time building in the boundaries, conveying what the expectations are, empowering people with the right instructions, tools, and access. And you're forever going to be stuck in that mechanic role or technician role. I'm, I'm thinking back, mm -hmm. people will be familiar with the three roles, the technician, operator, and visionary. And if you're responsible in your company for developing the vision, delivering the product, and also marketing, it becomes even more important to be able to step out of that role. You need to be able to hire people, either assistants, project managers, virtual assistants, others who can help you in that role so that you can step out of being the technician all the time and step into being the operator where you're looking at what needs to be done. And even more importantly, as the visionary, where you say, this is what the business needs to do. Here's what I want it to look like. Here's how this department needs to function. And I teach people through the Managing to Excel program how to think about how to grow and scale your company no matter what your role is. So someone who is a manager of customer service is thinking about how to put systems into place in preparation for the company doubling in size. I have someone who's in a finance role thinking about what roles would need to be added if the company's revenue tripled in the next three months. And managers don't often take time to think about these things, never mind have a very interactive conversation to think through all the different aspects, corners, and contingencies of these kinds of visions. But when everyone's holding a part of the vision, then the company really has a lot of vibrancy, energy, and forward momentum. That's when things really start to happen. So true. Because like earlier when you had talked about like everyone having like their systems in place and it, they're 
let's say not so weighed down and stuff, it was like huge for company morale, right? And so yes. again, like having everyone on the same page, each holding that piece of the vision, like the whole morale of the company is in a positive state of flow and the company yes. can move forward so much better. And here's how, let me share with you a very tactical thing that I think your listeners will enjoy. If you're having a conversation with one of your direct reports, you want to be able to explain this concept. And that's the one plus one equals three concept. Many managers will say, I've added a person and now we should just be more effective and be able to leverage that person's time and ability. But that doesn't always happen. Everyone says that it should happen. Everyone expects it to happen. Yet in practice, it happens seldom. <laughs> Unless you start to explain, we need this relationship in your first 30 to 60 days to start to equal one plus one equals three. And the way to do that is to make sure that the person's roles and responsibility are written down and clear. You show them what the metrics are by which their success will be measured. And you show them how every action they take is helping advance the department, the division, and the company to reach their goals. Then you have someone who you're not just giving things to that are, are the unpleasant tasks, right? You may have been in businesses or heard maybe your clients talk about this saying, oh gosh, I can't wait to hire someone because once we hire someone, I'm going to take all the nasty, dirty, unpleasant stuff that I don't like to do and give it to the new person. <laughs> you mean I shouldn't do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's one way of doing it if you like hiring new people every month. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to build people in, you say right from the beginning, this is your portfolio of responsibilities. And here's how you're helping the company from day one. And you're showing them not just, and you're giving them things that aren't just tasks, go off and find this phone number and then come back to me. But you're saying, this feeds into a larger plan. We're doing competitive research. Let me explain to you what are the steps that are involved. And then say, here are the three assignments I want to give you. You want to think in terms not of tasks, but of assignments and say, I want you to come back to me and look at these 12 companies and make a chart and on the basis of what you show me, I'm going to make a decision about X, Y, and Z. So you know what I'm going to use it for. Now go make a chart. And when I explain it that way, the person may say, well, this is my first time doing it. What are the headings? What are some examples? And I'm happy to go through that. And then we put it into an SOP, a standard operating procedure, so that when I assign other research projects like that, they have something to go back and refer to. And they come back and they're all excited and say, look, this is the research that's going to help you make that decision because they really are participating in something of a higher level. It's not just an assignment of do this and come back to me. It's help me make this decision. And then they learn to think about taking on more responsibility. That's the way I want everyone listening to this to be thinking about it when they delegate within their company. I like that. It kind of reminds me of like, when you tell like, so often the kids are always like, well, why? Why should I do that? Why should I do that? Mm -hmm. And this kind of, you're kind of beating them to the chase of why. And so then they can like think for themselves and think it through though too. You're empowering them. Absolutely. Absolutely right on. Cool. I'm going to switch it up. I have a question here. What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received was to not, is to not do the same thing over and over and expect different results. <laughs> <laughs> 
And what that leads to is an experimental uh, mindset. It says, all right, I tried it that way and we got these results. I want better results. What are some variables that I could start to manipulate? And that is incredibly valuable as a business leader. So true. What's the best advice that you've ever given? So I'll, I'll share with you the funniest advice I think I've ever was gave is I always ask people questions because I don't want to be the ones to put my words in their mouth. So mm-hmm. I remember asking somebody about their team that was remote and they were talking about how they were located in all these places. And I started asking um, the business owner saying, so what is this person doing? What is this person responsible for? And then I heard his tone change and he's like, oh, this is what he's supposed to be doing. But what he ends up doing at the end of the day isn't really (laughs) that much. And so this question came to me. I said, what if that person wasn't doing that role? And he was in a sales role. He was helping the company. His role was designed to help the company sell within this particular geography. And (laughs) he had never thought about what if this person wasn't in the role. But his eyes just kind of, he blinked a few times. He looked at me and said, our sales would go up. (laughs) (laughs) That was the funniest response. And I was just saying, you know, what if someone else was doing? But he fired the person and sales went up. (laughs) Interesting. Because again, it comes back to that one plus one equals three. And if one plus one is equal to 0.5, which is what it was doing in this case, Charlie was saying to this fellow out in the field, I want you to do this. And the, and the fellow who he was delegating to would say, got it, boss, no problem. But he wouldn't do it or he'd do it halfway or he'd complete it but not communicate it to anyone. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, it always became Charlie's job to keep going back and asking him so Charlie wasn't getting to focus the highest and best use of his time. And that's how businesses get dragged down. That's how businesses stagnate. Yeah, I'm sure he enjoyed not babysitting after. <laughs> And it's amazing how long people will, will tolerate that. And I'm encouraging people to say, listen, you're either training people how to do the role or responsibility the way that it's designed for. Don't make it personal. Say, this is how this function needs to operate. You need to produce these results. If you can't do it, that's okay. We just we need to know so we can either find a better place for you and find the right person for that role and then find something that you're best fit for. But if you're not doing that, you're dragging people away. How often, Virginia, even with the clients you work with, if they're always having to follow up with the people who are supposed to be helping them move the business forward, but they have to keep going back and saying, well, wait a second, did you complete that? Well, why didn't you tell anyone if it's complete? <laughs> or if you, if you didn't complete it and you're stuck, why didn't you ask for help? Every time, and I mean every single minute that you spend in a conversation like that, you're not able to focus on how to make your product or service or company better, bigger, or stronger. And I am so, I stand so strongly for going forward in that direction rather than looking backward again and again and again when things aren't changing. So true. So true. I'm sitting here shaking my head with memories. (laughs) I appreciate you being here today with us, Bill. Um, is there anything that we haven't mentioned yet that you kind of wanted to share with us? I want to share this idea, and that is that delegation is the is a litmus test for a senior manager looking at someone who is a new manager and saying, is this person 
going to be able to handle more responsibility and more people a year or two from now. You may not think that's true, but everyone who is in charge of a budget, a profit and loss statement, whether it's the owner of the company or just a senior manager in charge of middle managers or a team, everyone is looking at you, whether they're having the conversation or not and saying, are you gonna be someone who's ready to handle a larger team in a year or additional responsibilities in a year? And the degree to which you can delegate effectively is the measure by which they're gonna answer that question. So learn to do work effectively, not only as a technician, but also as an operator so that you're working through others to accomplish more. I like that. You're not doing it yourself. You're working through others. Yeah. So let me share with you. I know I'm going to share a little bit more at the end, but my one of my key delegation definitions is that you're going to accomplish more than you would ordinarily. You're going to involve other people, and you're also going to build bench strength in the company. That's when you're delegating effectively. And I think that's pretty easy to break down. Are you going to work with someone else? Yes. Are you going to accomplish more than if either of you did alone? Why, goodness, yes. I'm asking them to do some graphics work that would take me twice as long as they do because they've got the graphic skills, for instance. Mm -hmm. And then are you building bench strength in the company? Why, if we do this and document what we've done and how long it took and what resources were involved, yes, I can answer that question as well. So now I'm delegating and not just, as we described before, dumping and saying, oh, please just do this, change the color on this. I'm giving responsibility and building bench strength, which is a really useful way to think about it, I think. I do too. I, I like that. Where can we go to learn out more about you and what you do? Well, I'm going to give you three options, Virginia, because Ooh. I just love giving options. <laughs> Choices. First of all, tune in and become a subscriber to My Quest for the Best. If you like exciting and useful conversations like Virginia and I are having right now, you'll find on the episodes that I release, you'll also hear some really great stuff that will help you become a better business leader. Second of all, I encourage you to, to follow me on LinkedIn because that's where I release the best stuff earliest. You'll find me on LinkedIn, you'll find me on Twitter, but go ahead, look me up. I've got like seven or 8,000 followers um, and I'm looking to double that in the next three months. And third, um, go to Grow Business Now and I'll have a special page set up just for listeners of this podcast. And you'll get a couple delegation resources that will help you become even more effective. How about that? That sounds awesome. Thank you. So Virginia, would you list that in the show notes? Do you yes. want me to, maybe we'll make it, how about growbusinessnow.com forward slash conundrum. Ooh, I like it. All right, so that is it. We just decided right here, made executive <laughs> decision, and that's what the special um, URL will be. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can get your special resources by going to growbusinessnow forward slash conundrum. And I can't help you if you can't spell conundrum. I mean, you're, you're one of Virginia's loyal <laughs> listeners. You have to be able to spell conundrum. And if all in doubt, go back and look at the, the show. Just click the title. link. <laughs> Just click the darn link. <laughs> right? <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I really enjoyed our time together today. Me too. You take care. And I'm excited for your fourth book to come out. I'll let you know when it does. Sounds good. Chat later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.